one of the things that, uh, that I've grown to love kind of over the years as uh, I learn and as I grow in my understanding of God's Word is uh, one thing that is kind of shocking at first because sometimes you don't hear about it, but the reality is that there is a huge diversity of types of people that have faith in God. In fact, when you look at the diversity of faith, uh, you've got a lot of people from male to female, from old to young, from one culture to another culture, from one language to another language, from one uh, you know, economic system to another economic system, all coming to having faith in the truth of who God is. When you first read it, you read stories like Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel, and you see these stories and you think, wow, these types of individuals are the, what, the ones that God honors, are the ones that God rewards. And then as you read further on, you find out, well, wait, Abraham wasn't quite perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. David sure wasn't. Daniel, these all individuals had things going on. And then you find out, well, they're not the only people of the Bible. There are others that have this amazing stories that God uses in ways that are just baffling and ways that are just beyond what you and I would maybe necessarily expect. See, the good news I have for you this morning is that there are stories of faith from Moses to Rahab to countless of others that allows you to say that I have a part in the same story that, that they have. The good news that we have this morning is that you are not somehow unique, that you can't fit into the same story that these individuals have. In fact, as we wrap up chapter 11 and we look at Moses and Rahab and countless of others, we're going to find that their faith impacted others. So one thing that we're going to see not only is that your story can fit into the story that God is telling, but that your story is going to hopefully impact others around you. And this impact, as we see that, as we play this out by faith, we see this in Moses, is going to impact uh, in a way that, that delivers and, and sets them free. In fact, as we see this, um, and wait a second here, one second, one second, one second, I got to do something real quick. Look at something. Okay. Are you still back there, Lee? Can you add the other PowerPoint in? <laughs> we got a little bit older version of this one. <laughs> You'll see how my mind works here in a second. So uh, just a little behind while she's doing that real quick. Uh, usually I, I send my PowerPoint on Friday or, and then I redo it on Saturday. So uh, we've got a Friday version here real quick. Um, <clears throat> but what, what we can look at, and we can jump right to it, and, and that we'll have time to that. If you take up, open up your Bibles, and we'll, it's the same passage, so we're good on that. We're not going to change that one bit. Uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, we will start off in verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11. Make sure I get there, get there, get there, get there, get there. I got to find Hebrews. There we go. Chapter 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
Now by faith, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the floating pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. By faith he left, and he was not afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, and that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as the dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. When we look at <coughs> Moses' life, it's amazing that what he does, awesome, thank you very much, perfect. Okay. Good, 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 good. All right. Now this isn't working. It's going to be one of those days, huh? There we go. Awesome. We see the beginning of Moses' life. It's what's so fascinating about it is how it starts in such the smallest of ways. And don't you, you notice how this happens and plays out over and over again? In scriptures, that, that what God begins isn't what the way that you and I would begin that. When you look at the story of Moses, you see this power of the Egyptians and the, um, the, the enslavement of, of Israel. And the enslavement of Israel, you'd think, okay, God, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to defeat this power, this superpower of Egypt? And yet God in that beginning starts with a baby. It's the same thing that he did when you, we were studying on, on Wednesday, 1 Samuel in our, in our Wednesday night class. How, how does God begin to bring this transition from judges to kings? He, he starts with a, a woman who's barren and then a baby. What does God do when he brings his son into the world? He starts with a 13, 14-year-old Jewish young girl and a baby. God <coughs> loves to begin in the smallest of ways. That's what I love when, when, you know, Denise, you're telling that story. God starts in the smallest of ways. Who knows what will happen in Lou's life, but maybe it would start because this lady showed up from Pennsylvania and began to just entertain us and then talk to us about Jesus. These small stories are so powerful, and it's such a contrast of powers. You have everything the world can offer in the Egyptians, and then a baby from a slave. Now, in this passage, you will notice and you'll see that there was this moment where uh, Moses' parents rejected the king's orders and did what they seemed was right in God's eyes. Now, you and I have to recognize that we have the grace given to us by God to, to do the right thing even when it costs us. But we got to be careful when we come to some of these passages because it can sometimes justify what we already wanted to do. You notice that? Sometimes Scripture does that. Sometimes it's amazing how when we enter into Scripture and we are looking for something, we'll find what we're looking for. Because we want to be justified to do what we want to do. Well, my boss told me I had to do this. I don't want to do what my boss said. Well, Moses' parents didn't do what the Pharaoh did, so therefore I can do what I want to do. And we've got to be really careful with that. Now, there are times when we've got to, got to say, no, God is the ultimate authority. God is the one that I follow. God is the one that I trust. There are times, and, and many times, we have the grace to do the right thing in God's eyes that's going to cost us in this life. 
But we got to be cautious and we got to be careful with that. You ever hear someone say, well, God told me to do this and what they wanted to do was just what they wanted to do anyways. They just said, God told me to do this. We got to be careful when we use that phrase. We got to be careful when we come to scripture. But there are times, there are times like in this moment where Moses' parents did what was right in God's eyes, not what was right in Pharaoh's eyes. And so they put the baby in the Nile. I love the thought too of the Nile because the Nile was the source of so much of Egyptians' power. The Egyptians' power, so much source of their ideas of who the gods were. And yet God says, I'm going to send a baby down your mighty Nile that's going to destroy you and take you out. Well, as we read, as I read <coughs> there, Moses grew up and he was in uh, Pharaoh's court and he was considered part of Pharaoh's family. And yet he also knew that he wasn't a part of Pharaoh's <coughs> family. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, that he was looking for a reward beyond the power and the glory and the riches that Egypt was going to give to him. In fact, as Noah, or sorry, Noah, uh, Moses was considered uh, the idea of son of Pharaoh's daughter. is almost like a title, uh, kind of like they have in England as the, the Duke of York or uh, a different title along those lines. But, but, but Moses loved their culture as we can love our culture because there's good things within culture, but he refused to be identified with the spirit of the culture. And that's an important aspect here in, in the faith that Moses had. It wasn't just the idea that, that he was in that culture or that he was a part of that culture. He didn't want to be identified by the spirit of that culture. And I want you to know that's an important distinction. That you and I as Christians, if you claim yourself to be one, we live within the culture that we live in. We are a part of that and there are good things about that. Yet we are identified by the spirit of the culture. There's a little phrase that I've been using lately that I love. It, it, it is I, lo I want to be informed by the world or by the culture I live in, but I want to be transformed by the mercy, by mercy and grace. You see, there's a huge difference. That as I live in this life, whether it's, it's this culture or another culture, or whether it's uh, the culture of work that you have, or whether it's a political culture, or whatever it may be, you, you want to be informed by that. You want to enjoy the good of what is there, but you are identified by that. You are identified by the family of God. You're identified by the mercy and grace that has been given to you. And Moses is, is by faith saying, I am part of this culture, but I'm, I'm not identified by this. And so by faith, he left Egypt and he was afraid, not afraid of the king and endured as seeing him who's invisible. In this moment, we see the very same theme throughout the entire chapter that, that Moses saw something that was unseen. And he lived by that. He knew by faith that, that not everything that he sees is what really is, that there is something greater, something more. And so he wasn't afraid of Pharaoh's anger because he knew that there was more to the story. In fact, Moses recognized that <coughs> by faith, the story wasn't even going to be over as he fled and as he left. And so by faith, he returns, and then we go through... Uh, 
exile, or we go through this time of, of uh, Israel leaving Egypt and the 10 plagues, and then you come to the last plague and the Passover and the, the sprinkling of the blood and the, 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 what's labeled here is the destroyer, or the, the angel of death comes and, and takes the firstborn of every child except for those that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And by faith, we see Moses trusting and obeying. I can't still fathom this event. It's one of the the, the most uh, uh, impactful events in the entire Old Testament. Yet what we see for Moses and all of the Israelites in that night is that they trusted and obeyed. They trusted God at his word. Either God is for them or God is not who they say he is. And in this moment, they put their faith and trust that God is who he says he is, and they obeyed him. It's interesting, when Moses instituted the Passover, he instituted it in a way that was going to be a lasting ordinance to do year after year, and he instituted that before the first one happened. And so Moses is demonstrating from the very beginning, he knows that God is going to show up and deliver exactly what he said. And so much so, we're going to keep doing it year after year. It's a pretty fascinating level of faith that Moses has here in God. You know, all these things by faith, and there's five of them listed here. The last one comes to this big moment at the Red Sea, and by faith, he puts out his staff and his, and his rod, and he uh, parts <coughs> the Red Sea, and the uh, Israelites walk through on dry land, and yet the Egyptians are the ones who try to do the same, and they are drowned. This moment here <coughs> is this huge, big moment of Moses' life, of the walking and the parting of the Red Sea, and they walk on dry land. And from beginning to end, Moses' life shouts out faith in God. From the beginning to end, from, from the, the littlest moments to the, to the biggest moments, from beginning to end, <coughs> Moses demonstrates a faith in God no matter what the situation's going on. And yet the writer now shifts and goes into this continual story of uh, Israel and tells uh, the story of a prostitute named Rahab. By faith, the walls of Jericho fall down after they've been circled for seven days, but by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, it's interesting, again, this huge event of Jericho, where this massive city with a massive wall is protected, and, and, and with Joshua, they march around the walls, and the walls come down. It's a huge event. It gets one verse listed here. At the same breath, they are listing the idea that Rahab, who welcomed the spies in before Jericho's walls fell down, and she had heard about this God of the Israelites, and she trusted in these spies and who God was and gave to them safe passage, is listed in the same breath as Moses and the walls of Jericho. It's an amazing thing when you think about that, that this last significant person mentioned in this chapter is a woman who's a Gentile and a prostitute. 
Now again, remember this audience that the writer is writing to. It's a small little church with a, with a huge empire of Rome bringing persecution and the threat of, of death upon them. Many of them are probably thinking, well, what can we do to, to, to stop this? What can we do to, 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 to be able to defeat Rome? And the story of Moses is brought up. Others are probably in this little church thinking, well, who am I? Don't, doesn't God know my, my past? Doesn't God know my history? Doesn't God know that I'm just, you know, uh, I'm not like an Abraham. I'm not like a Moses. And, and then the story of Rahab comes up. You see, the, the beauty in this is that, uh, and, and James picks this up in his letter, is that Abraham is listed with right next to Rahab as two pillars of examples of faith that equals works. That faith does something in the way that they believe and they do something about it. And, and Abraham and Rahab, Moses and Rahab, it, it's almost like taking these two parallels and saying, well, well, where do you fall into this? Because no matter where you fall into this, you, you, you are someone that can have faith. That's why I love the story about Paul. Paul says, I am the worst of the worst sinners. I'm the one that's done the, the most evil out of anybody, and yet God still is using me. These stories of faith are, are examples for us, for us to know that, that deep down inside, if you are willing, and, uh, willing to, to please God by, by faith, that God can use you. And God loves to use us in that way. In fact, as you think about Rahab's story, you might even coming to that question, well, how does God use Rahab when she lies? Because when the authorities or the, the officers of, of Jericho came to her house, she said, no, the spies weren't there. In fact, but they, they were there. And so she lied and yet God still honors her. God still blesses her. And these are, again, difficult passages to say, well, well is God just honoring someone who lies? And, and we step back from it and we say, well, no, God never really said that because Rahab lied, he honored her. But God recognized that in all of us, we are flawed individuals who won't always get it right. And yet God still uses us. In fact, you can see throughout <coughs> Scripture, God talks about others who lied, like Abraham and others, and it was never approved. It was never anything that God said, this is good. You can see God's Word talks about those who, who bear falsehood, those who uh, are to, uh, you know, be are considered lying is not good. We are to be men and women of truth. And yet, in the midst of this, God still takes Rahab, even though she lied, and uses her to be a part of the genealogy of the birth of Christ. It's an amazing thing. And so if you're sitting there and saying, well, I didn't do it right, or I have a history, or I'm just uh, whatever our society identifies as, as not as good. Whether you say, okay, I'm a, you know, a, you know, in Rahab's time, I'm a woman, I'm a Gentile, I'm a prostitute. Like all categories that in that day and time, in that culture would have been viewed as lesser. Whether you, however you view yourself and say, well, God surely isn't going to put me into the hall of fame of faith, you have to remember it's not about who we are. It's about trusting and obedience to the word of God and putting our faith in who he is. 
And so when we get to this spot, we, 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 we look and say, okay, now what happens? And, and we don't have the time to look at it. But he ends just kind of a, this barrage of individuals and people. And there's kind of two categories that he separates them from. In verse 32, he talks about these people who had great victories and did these amazing things. And God showed up significantly in their lives. And yet, to almost kind of balance it out, then the, the writer shifts to say, well, yet all these other people lost their lives. And they were persecuted and they were tormented and difficult things came their way. And in all these things, whether God gives you the victory or whether you feel like defeat, it's not about what happens to you. It's about God continuing on and advancing his story. And so persecution might come your way. That doesn't mean you're not living by faith. God might give you a victory. That doesn't mean that you did everything right along the way and everyone needs to follow your example. The question that we come to is, do I trust God at his word? Do I trust him to be a good God? Do I trust him that he is the creator of all things and that he is the sustainer of all things and that he gave his son to to die on our behalf and gave us victory and I can follow him and trust him that there is a kingdom that is coming and there's a kingdom that I'm living for today and it's not about what I see with my eyes and what what the culture lives for and gives their lives for, but I, I live for him. If that is the case, then, then we, we live by faith and our faith should put us into action. Our faith should impact others around us. And our faith should be one that isn't dictated on the circumstances of whether or not we got a green light or a red light today. Or whether the sun's shining or it's raining today. Of whether everything goes in my favor or goes against me. Whether I get victory or, or, or whether it's defeat. None of that changes my faith. And so faith in the big things and the little things. It's faith, whether it's by the giants or by the nobodies. It's faith, (coughs) whether they applaud you or they reject you. It's faith, whether you have great victories or disappointments. The question is whether or not we will join in and be a part of this Hall of Fame faith chapter that the writer of Hebrews is sharing with his church. And the beauty that is found in it is that we are all invited into it. We all have this opportunity to say, yes, I want to be a part of that team. Yes, I want to be in that family. Yes, I want to follow in their lead and their example. Yes, I, I, I want to I be recognized as someone that lives not for what is seen in this world, but lives for what is unseen. Because I trust and believe who God is. As I shared last week, I, I, we, 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 we know that the ice, as we walk out onto the pond, is, is, is strong enough, is safe, is secure. Yes, it's scary to leave the unknown. It's scary to leave the the land that feels so comfortable. But to know that there is greater beyond, there's greater coming, and I can trust God like I trust this ice to hold me. When we get to this moment, we start living for something more than just this life.